I'm one of the leaders here, and um, we're going to be talking about Acts 10 today, which I'm really, really excited about um, because it's like a fantastic story. We're not going to read the entire chapter. We're going to kind of blow through some parts of it so that we can um, really dig into the takeaways that God has for us today. Um, But let's start by praying. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for all of the ways that you have conspired to be in relationship with us and to draw us close and to make our lives wonderful and to experience your love. Lord, I ask that you would do that today, that you would just draw us close, that you would cut through the noise and the worries of the week, all of the things, the ways that the enemy wants to make us disconnected from you. Lord, I just pray against all of that, and I ask that you would come and rescue our hearts and tell us true things again about who you are and who we are and who we are in you. We ask for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, we're going to start just by talking about the fact that God is an includer. So I want to review, and this is almost a cliche if you've heard me preach before, I like to talk about the whole Bible every time. And I tried to resist it. I was like, just Acts 10, but like, no, no, I just feel like we need to remember all the things about God. So having rejected, having been rejected by humanity, that's Adam and Eve in the story of Genesis, um, God has begun a mission to be reunited with all of his children, all of humanity. And he did that at the very beginning with a man named Abram, who he changed his name to Abraham. And so he had Abraham and Sarah, and that was two people that God had drawn close to, and they didn't have any kids. So God fixed that and gave them a son, and um, we, have, we see the patriarchs of the Jewish faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then Jacob had a lot of sons. And some of these guys were kind of like creepy goons sometimes. Like they were very, very imperfect. Um, but their family grew and was blessed by God, and they became the nation of Israel that then was enslaved in the land of Egypt. And God delivered them through miracles, and he drew close and he showed off all of the wonderful things that he could do by rescuing his people. They walked across the Red Sea that was split for them, and then they ended up in the desert where they wandered around for 40 years because they didn't quite do things right. And uh, they learned a lot about God's provision and about obedience to the Lord. And then um, under Moses' protege, Joshua, they crossed the Jordan River into the land that God had set apart as the inheritance of the Hebrew people. And they um, had kind of like opposite day wars for a long time in that when things looked really bad, but they did what God wanted, like they always won. So like they just marched around a city and yelled at it one time and they won. And then when they had like way more soldiers than the other team, but they didn't do just what God said, they lost. And it was humiliating. And so there were lots of ups and downs there where the Israelite people learned a lot about God's provision and how to be obedient to God. And then we see a time where judges ruled over the Israelites, and then we had King Saul and King David and King Solomon. And then after some time, the Israelite people um, got carried off into bondage, first by 
Ooh, okay, definitely by both the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and I get mixed up which one is, comes first, so let's ignore that. Definitely both of them, though. And, um, and a lot of prophets came to Israel where God spoke to a lot of prophets. That's what our kids are learning about today. And God spoke to the prophets to tell Israel how much he loved this group of people and calling them to be obedient to him and to return to him and to have intimacy with God and to be his people because he set them apart. And sometimes they really listened and changed their ways and sometimes they really didn't and they didn't change. And then things got really quiet for 400 years. And this would be the 400 years before Jesus. And I have to wonder what it was like to live during that time, you know? Like, we haven't seen a prophet in a long time. Is God still for us, you know? Like, we, we haven't gotten any new messages. We don't know what God is doing. Has he forgotten us? And then, in that quiet time, a baby is born. Not a powerful king or a military leader, but a, a poor child in a manger, in a stable. Of course, we'll talk about that at Christmas. And we see Jesus' life of reconciling people to God through healing them and baptizing them and leading them into just a whole new way to experience God. So you can see Jesus, um, you know, in the Sermon of the Mount, he says, let's review all of these rules that we got way back uh, through Moses in the desert, and let's talk about what these rules mean and the morality that underpins them. So don't just not cheat on your wife. Don't look at anyone with lust. Don't just not murder somebody. Don't look at anyone with anger. Jesus really raises the bar, and we get transformed. Just the whole faith gets transformed from this rule book of a distant God to this relationship with a God who will draw near in human flesh to have communion with us. Jesus picked 12 guys to hang out with him to try to teach them everything that he knew, and they were a fairly fantastic representation of at least me, maybe some more of us, because they were pretty dim, and they didn't get it a lot of the times, and they had to ask a lot of really stupid questions. Like, they, like Jesus would tell a parable, and the disciples, I just imagine, would be like, oh, yes, that's very wise, Jesus, that's very wise. And then when they'd get alone, they'd be like, okay, so what did that mean <laughs> exactly, you know? And Jesus re-explains it to them, which is lucky, because then they wrote that stuff down so that we got, like, you know, the, the like, dummies version of some of these parables. And then Jesus, um, at the climax of his ministry, he is crucified. And he dies, he's buried for three days, and then he comes back to life. Lots of people see him and hang out with him. He eats and drinks. He's like fully alive. And then he ascends to heaven, and that's where Acts picks up the story. Now, Josh has been preaching through Acts for like months and months and months now. Um, and this is the part of Acts where we get to see God do another really huge thing when it comes to including more people. What was um, Adam and Eve pushing God aside and saying, nope, it's my way, God, not yours, and then turned into like just Abraham and then Sarah and like just their little family and then just that one nation of people, God is about to like blow the lid off and make it into a whole lot more than that. And that's what we get to in Acts 10. So let's do a super fast read-through of Acts 10. Um, there's a guy, Cornelius, and he's a really good guy, and he fears God. And this is a little bit interesting. I was talking to Josh earlier, and I said, how many Gentiles were worshiping the Jewish God? Like, that, that is weird, right? And Josh said, it's kind of like a white Rastafarian. They definitely exist, but it's like, 
fringe. So um, there is a, there's speculation that since Cornelius is a centurion, that maybe he's a centurion who interacts with Jesus years before and sees his servant healed, or maybe as a centurion he heard about Jesus through like one of his centurion friends. We don't really know, but there's Cornelius, really good guy, worshiping God, no idols in his house. And he has a vision. An angel comes and visits him, and Cornelius says, what is it, Lord? And the angel says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. We know this guy. He's one of our 12 dudes. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea, yada yada. Cornelius does just what he says. Um, Noon the next day, Peter goes up onto the roof to pray, and he's hungry, and then he falls into a trance, which I can really identify with. And uh, and then Peter Peter has a vision as well. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. I love this line so much because it just shows you how much Peter hasn't changed. Does anybody remember Peter when Jesus is washing everybody's feet? And all the disciples are like, cool, Jesus, thanks for washing my feet. Yeah, that's really awesome. Wow, Jesus, this is incredible. And then Peter's like, no, you can't wash my feet, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, well, you have to because this prophecy is what we're doing here. And then Peter's like, well, not just my feet, then my head and my hands also. You know, like he just, Peter's just very, he's like not afraid to correct God. And, um, but then like once he's convinced, he's really convinced. Again, something that maybe as kind of an impulsive redhead I can identify with. I wonder if Peter was a redhead. Like he's a Middle Eastern man. I doubt he was redheaded, but in spirit, in spirit. So Peter's like, no God, in the middle of his vision, no God, I'm going to follow the real rules. Um, And so then God says, the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happens three times a little bit dim, Peter needs it repeated, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and so they come to get Peter, and Peter's still thinking about the vision, and God's like, hey, these guys are knocking at the door, go talk to them, and so Peter is like, I'm the one who you're looking for, why have you come, and they explain, an angel came to Cornelius, and we need to take you back to Cornelius' house, because he needs to hear what you have to say, and so then Peter invited those men into his home to be his guests, and the next day they go to Cornelius' house. And um, as Peter enters the house, Cornelia met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Because Cornelius, I think, is like a very like formal, proper kind of a guy. Like he has a lot of respect for what's about to happen because Peter is Jewish, Cornelius is a Gentile, and usually these people don't go into each other's houses because of the rules of their culture of the day. Some of it has to do with food. God gave a lot of rules about food. Back in the desert with Moses, eat this, don't eat that. He also gave a lot of rules about like how to handle disease, which I think like I can look back on this with my modern sciencey mind and say, yes, if you have a skin condition and your scalp is itchy, you should shave your head because you probably have lice. My kids had lice one time, and boy, that was a really good idea. God doesn't say anything about lice, just like, you know, let's handle it this way. God's very smart. So anyway, so he gave them a lot of food rules way back in the desert, and this really kept the Israelites very separate from the other people. Have you ever tried to be friends with a vegan? Or are you a vegan, and have you tried to have friends who aren't vegans? (laughs) 
<laughs> I tried for like six weeks once. It's really hard. My best friend is like a really good cook. Like she bakes and she cooks. She just like makes, and love, the love language is food. And she makes things for me. And um, I told her I was a vegan. And she was like, that's okay. That's okay. I can, I can work with this. We can still be friends. <laughs> it's not over. Cookies. Cookies don't have milk. And I was like, right, they don't. But they have eggs. And she's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cake. Cake doesn't have milk. And I was like, yes, it doesn't. But it also has eggs. And she was like, man, vegans can't eat anything. And we did, like, we stuck with it and we tried to stay friends as best we could. And then I abandoned veganism. And it's a lot easier now. Like having dinner with somebody who eats differently than you. Or like food allergies. I know some of us experience that. Or just like saying like, I don't like a certain thing that lots of people like. It really keeps us separate which is kind of a good thing, a long time ago when God wants the Israelites to be a little bit apart from like the other societies of the day that are um, really doing weird idol worship stuff, like really awful stuff, like weird sex stuff and weird like kill your own babies kind of stuff, just like weird stuff. God kept him, the Israelite people separate from all of them. They didn't intermarry. They didn't eat the same things. And so the Israelite people were able to carry forward the message of God's um, love and morality, so we get to Jesus, and then everybody's about to get saved in just a second. So Peter says, I'm just a guy. Let's hang. And, um, and he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with us or visit a Gentile. Most of us in this room Gentiles, probably mostly Gentiles. Okay, I'm going to talk kind of like we're all Gentiles. If you're Jewish, I would encourage you to criticize me later. Just like, come talk to me. I'll be really, really sorry. But I think, I know most of us are Gentiles. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm a Gentile, so I'm going to talk for myself. So Jews and Gentiles don't associate. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? So Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying this hour, and at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, God heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa, for Simon called Peter. So I sent for you immediately. It was so good of you to come. Now we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. And this is a big moment for us Gentiles. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, so the Jewish 
believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have just received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So Peter's like me. He likes to tell the whole story from the very beginning. I like that a lot. (laughs) Or maybe I'm like Peter because I guess he came first. But Peter tells this story. And in this moment, I think so many of us, maybe American Gentile Christians, don't appreciate the significance of what happened in this moment. When I was a kid in Sunday school, I learned John 3.16. We studied the Gospels. I learned all about Jesus, and he died on the cross, and that's when I get to be received into God's family. But the reality is, is that when that happened, most Gentiles didn't know. Most Gentiles didn't know that it included them because Jesus was Jewish and all of his followers were Jewish. And a lot of the stuff that have happened in Acts up to this point, like it starts out with these 12 guys, all Jewish, going out into the world and sharing this news with everybody else. And there are a lot of moments when Gentiles get welcomed in. I really like this one. I think it's good for us to recognize moments like this when God really widens the family. So he's rejected by Adam and Eve, and then he picks Abraham and his wife Sarah, and then they have a baby, and then their babies have babies, and they have a nation, and then their nation learns lots of things and grows and has lots of ups and downs, and the prophets come, and then Jesus comes, and then Jesus dies, is raised from the dead, and says, this family is for everyone. And this is when God says, ah, that's what I wanted back when I put Eden together. I wanted everyone to be included in this. I wanted all of humanity to be a part of my family. I didn't just want one or two or a thousand or a million. I wanted every single person. And this moment with Peter and Cornelius, just Peter saying, it's you guys too. It's you guys too. This family is for you too. It makes me think of a friend of mine. I've had a couple of friends actually that I've been very close to who have been adopted into their families. And um, one of them, they, she talks about her gotcha day. So they celebrate like her birthday, the day of her birth. And then they also celebrate the day that she was adopted. And the reason I call it, and I guess this is fairly, uh, there's like a standard culture of adopted families. Lots of them talk about the A day, you know, the day you were adopted or the gotcha day. Um, but I really love her story. She was born in South Korea and she was brought over on a plane to St. Louis where her parents um, picked her up from the airport. And when the people, they had like a whole lot of kids that were getting adopted. They all came off the plane and they were calling out names. And when my friend's parents' names were called, I got this story from my friend's mom. She said, um, of her husband, (laughs) she said, when they called out our last name, we were kind of in the back of the crowd. And he's kind of like a bigger guy. And he just went barreling through the crowd saying, that one's mine, that one's mine. And he ran up and he took his baby in his arms. She was about six months old at the time. And um, (laughs) the mom says she smelled terrible. She'd just been on this long trip and she was crying loud, which I think the mom puts in a footnote like, that's when we found out how it's because she's kind of a control freak and it, she, nothing was in her control. And they just took this 
smelly, crying, loud baby and poured out their love on her because they'd been waiting for her for so long. This was a case where they'd had infertility issues and they knew that God had babies out there for them and they adopted her and they adopted her brother and they didn't just celebrate the day they were born, as many of us probably do, they also celebrate the gotcha day. And I just, I read this story and I feel like God says, gotcha. This is my gotcha day. These ones are mine. These Gentiles are mine. God's kingdom is not determined just by birth. We are born into humanity. I think you have to be human to be in God's kingdom. But it's not determined by being born into a certain family or born into a certain class or born in a certain country or born looking a certain way or born as a member of a certain race. God's kingdom is determined by a choice that love made to say, you're mine and I've got you. And this is what happens in Acts when Peter goes to Cornelius and says, you're in. It doesn't matter what you eat, you're in. Vegan or otherwise, in. <laughs> and this is such a big deal to God. I think he just, he just loves to extend his family this way. And the same way um, that uh, my friend celebrates her gotcha day every single year, you know, so often inclusion in the kingdom of God, it is like, a a fact that we should be aware of. It is like a tidbit of knowledge, like I am in the kingdom of God, God made a way for me to join this kingdom. But it's not like a a, a principle in math that you learn in second grade so that you can just build on that knowledge in third grade and fourth grade. It's not five times 12 is 60. And like, I know it and now I have it and now I don't have to reflect on it anymore. Um, But rather, it's more like a birthday or a celebration. It's a tradition. It's a thing we need to experience again and again and again, in order to be able to internalize that truth of how we belong together with God and his family. At the Vineyard, one of our Vineyard values is the experience and worship of God. The experience of the kingdom of God, and thus the experience of God's presence, is central to our faith and our Christian life. And I don't have anything really creative or interesting to say in in this sermon, just that I think God is calling us to remember how he's brought us in and to remember his great love for for us and for us to experience that again. That's one of the things that we do on Sunday mornings is we just, we need to experience this again and again. Knowing God isn't just like like knowing a fact. It's like knowing a person because he's a person, a super person. Um, John 17, 3 says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Philippians 3, 8 says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord knowing Christ Jesus. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. I'm reading a book right now, um, and uh, in it the author says this. He talks about these two passages and says, but what is this knowing of God that is of supreme value, that gives God such pleasure, that gives us genuine and eternal life? It is personal knowing, knowing that begins with belief, but is deepened through relationship. God's intention is that we know divine love by experiencing it. And that's David Brenner. God's intention is that we know divine love by experiencing it. It's a challenging thing trying to teach your faith to kids. And I've been upstairs with our kids in kids' ministry for a while because we just change some things. And so whenever we have change, we need just a little more, got to put a little extra effort while everybody gets used to the new way of doing things. And talking to these kids about God's love, it's so interesting because 
there are facts that I want them to learn, you know? So like a lot of times we'll watch a story maybe on YouTube, a little animated story of something that happened in the Bible, and then I'll ask them questions about what happened in the story, like basic comprehension, you know? Like, why was Hannah sad? She couldn't have a baby. What did God do? He gave her a baby. Like, these are things you need to understand in this story. But then we also have to talk about, like, so what do we know about God? God's the kind of God that he gives babies to women who can't have them and ask for them. He makes families out of, you know, just like one person or two people. He, he brings us all into a family, and he loves us the way that your parents love you. In fact, maybe better than your parents love you, because sometimes mommy and daddy don't get it exactly right. They're trying their best, aren't they? But God never gets it wrong. <laughs> So um, my, my kids are always there. They're like, yep, sometimes mommy and daddy don't get it right. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks, kids. Let's talk about how mommy yelled to get us in the car on the way to church today. Mommy, sorry. So we have an adventure up there, but just trying to help them understand, like, we need to understand the facts of the story. Like, that is the basis on which our faith is built. Like, the authority that I have to preach to you today comes from the Word of God, and we need to understand that. But we can't just stop there. We can't just stop by saying, yep, I've got it. Like, uh, read, assimilated. I'm a Christian now, but like we've got to experience this again and again because God calls us into participation in his family in a way that we need to experience his love so that we can share that with others in an honest and a compelling way. So I think we have two real key takeaways here. The first is that we are called to be included by God. And that might seem a little bit silly, right? Like God's the actor. He's the one including us. He's the one who's doing the thing. He is including but we have to receive that. Like, there's a decision that we make, too. Our free will is of a lot of importance to God. It must be, because our free will is the thing that allows us to walk away from God. And so for him to be willing to make that risk, it must be such a valuable thing that we are able to make that choice of, do I accept God, or do I reject God? Do I accept inclusion, or do I push inclusion aside? And so we're called by God to receive that invitation, to be included by him, and to say, yes, I also want to be a part of this family. I'm actually not a baby being adopted by two wonderful parents, but I'm like, you know, a, a little bit like a teenager, you know, probably a lot like a teenager, actually, who's very willing to be like, um, no, I'm doing things my way. <laughs> um, we have a choice in the whole thing. Like, it's not just one-sided, but they're both, and we have an acceptance to make. And then the next part of being included by God, we're also called to include others and to extend that to others. Because to be in a family is to kind of like act like that family. I'm a part of a family. Um, but I have like the family I was born into, and then I also joined my husband's family, and they're wonderful people. And Every single one of them is more extroverted than me, and every single one of them loves to sing <laughs> loud, <laughs> often, <laughs> all the time. So we sing. When the whole family gets together, we sing. Like, maybe you've sung Happy Birthday at a party, and it's kind of like everybody, Happy Birthday, you know, and like everybody kind of gets it by like the, like the sixth or seventh note. Not this family, man. The Gekis, like, they're on it. Like, happy birthday with harmonies. Christmas carols are like a 
whole nother experience. <laughs> when, when, when any one of them, like wherever they gather for Christmas, there is a going to church, and whoever is the pastor of that church, whether it was Josh's dad a couple times or um, the Catholic church where the grandparents go, uh, they get really excited, like, oh, the Gakies are down. <laughs> We're gonna, let's bring them all, let's have a choir all of a sudden because we have enough professional singers and amateur singers who could be professional singers that will all sing. I don't really sing, so I smile and I lip sync. And um, when Josh says, our annual Christmas party, we have to sing, okay, we'll sing. Here we are singing. Because if I'm a gecky, then I sing. (laughs) Because that's just what it is to be a part of that. So if I'm a Christian, I include. Because the Father includes and Jesus includes, and the Holy Spirit includes. And so just by nature of like, here I am with you, and I'm not as good at it as God is, and I may not even be good at it as, as good at it as some of my brothers and sisters in Christ, like I'm still supposed to extend that invitation and that inclusion because it's just a part of the family that I am. You'll notice this parallels our church's mission, cultivating love for God and for neighbors. We want to make space to both respond to God and Him including us, and we want to make space um, for others to be included as well. So I've got some tips because we always have some tips. The first is, oh, and I've been watching so many like YouTube productivity gurus lately, so here are all of your buzzwords from 2019. Develop habits. Uh, that build places where we can receive. (laughs) Something we talk about sometimes in the vineyard, you've probably heard Josh say this, is uh, keep the fire in the fireplace. And what we mean by that is um, the Holy Spirit is like the fire, and the fireplace is um, ministry time or Sunday morning worship gatherings or awaken or time in small group or just time with other Christians where um, we want to like make room for the Holy Spirit to do cool Holy Spirit things in a way that really protects other people and doesn't leave anybody like vulnerable or like, you know, we sometimes will talk about like come up to get prayer. Somebody's been trained like not to be too weird. Like <laughs> the Holy Spirit sometimes like does things that are surprising and out of the ordinary and whoever is receiving that we want them to be able to understand what's happening we want them to be like to uh to consent to that not to feel embarrassed or called out or anything like that and so we talk about keep the fire in the fireplace of like don't be weirder than god is like don't make the supernatural stuff weirder than it has to be like let's just let god do what he wants to do and let's help anyone who can receive that understand what's going on the other side of keep the fire in the fireplace is you got to have a fireplace If we never do prayer ministry time, if we never pray for one another, if we never say to our friend at work, can I just pray for you right now? It seems like this is really hard for you. Then we're going to miss out on some of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do because we're not making any space for it to happen. The same thing happens just with experiencing God's love. If I don't have any times built into my life when I'm looking for God's love, it's going to be really difficult for me to experience God's love. And sometimes these things can become legalistic, have a quiet time or a devotional, and it can turn into like, check the box, you know, like just check this off the list. We don't want to do that, but we don't want to throw away (laughs) building that habit just because it might become a checkbox. Like, just don't let it become a checkbox, okay? But still, let's read the Bible. Let's pray for each other. Let's gather together on Sunday mornings. Let's pray with our kids before meals and before bedtime. Let's just put some of those rhythms into our lives where we can receive God's love because we need to get it all the time. 
Um, the next would be to infuse those habits with mindfulness. So there you go. Infuse habits, mindfulness. I could be a YouTube star, you guys. Um, but when we're mindful, it's when we're really present. It's when we're really paying attention. So it's not just that, like, I've read the words of the passage that I was supposed to read today, and I recite a prayer without really thinking about it because I'm focused on, you know, what I have to do later today at work or the fight that I got into with my friend. It's about reading those words and asking God, what do you have for me? It's about reciting the prayer and filling those words with meaning. And if my mind is distracted by work or relationships, talk to God in the prayer about work or relationships. Just like really be present with God in these times. Um, I would also say, say yes to every opportunity that you have to include others. Hopefully we make a lot of those opportunities at church, um, but God is going to give us a lot of opportunities as well. God is going to give us chances at work. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day who uh, their manager wanted to know how they had developed some skills, and this person referred to uh, their walk with Jesus and said, you know, I kind of think about how would Jesus do this thing, and that's how I've gotten better at doing this thing. Like, man, that is some evangelism. Like, that's a great way to share our faith and to, and to offer that opportunity opportunity to another person to consider Christ and consider how Christ might interact with, uh, with your work. Um, it's really easy to include kids, just feed them. <laughs> we, that's what we do with our neighbor kids. Whenever we get pizza, if the kids are playing with the neighbors, we just get like an extra pizza and then all the kids eat pizza. And, uh, and hopefully they, you, you know, they're really getting the message that like, there's room for you. There's room in our life, in our house, and that parallels the room that God makes and um, inviting them to church from time to time and as it's appropriate. We want to be wise about these things. Like, we want to um, really let the Lord lead us in the ways that we put ourselves out there. Um, and I say that not to give us an excuse to hold back, but just to, like, if you're feeling nervous about it, like if the thought of inviting somebody to church makes you feel like, ooh, you know, like, well, ask God to make it, like, real, real easy. Just be like, God, I need, like, the kindergarten worksheet on how to invite somebody to church. I need, like, an opportunity for like a like a five-year-old or like a three-year-old like, like how would you make this okay for a three like I don't think I have like a, a PhD in inviting people to church I need like a preschool invite somebody to church opportunity maybe if somebody were to say to me where do you go to church I could say oh I go to this church you could come that would be good like that's a great way to start we can always just say yes to whatever kind of opportunity God gives us and then my last one would be Offer your best to this mission. Um, something that was so wonderful happened at our Be the Vineyard meeting this last Wednesday. So I'm just going to tell everybody about it. So if you were there, that was so awesome. <laughs> and if you weren't there, let me tell you about it. So we did our Chill Between the Thrills event um, a week ago, Friday. And then on Wednesday, we kind of talked about, like, so what was really good about it? And there were a lot of really good things. Like, it didn't feel like we were being, like, pushy Christians on some evangelistic event. It just felt like we were having a party ourselves for our family and that we were inviting other people to enjoy that with us. And they did, which, like, I think that's exactly what it's supposed to look like. And, um, and we talked about, like, we had, like, a lot, like, a, a big team thing going on where, like, a lot of different people did a lot of different things, so there wasn't just one person doing all the work. Um, we also didn't really have anything that had to be done during the event so everybody could sort of relax. Um, one person shared that they'd had kind of a stressful day, and then coming to the event was actually, like, the refreshing time of that day. It 
wasn't like, oh, I've got a Saturday and I've got to go serve the church and do this hard thing, and then I'm off for the rest of the day. It was quite the opposite. It was like, man, life is hard, but then I got to see all my friends at church, and I got to hang out and eat some s'mores, and I got to meet some new people, and just let them know that, like, yep, we're church, and God loves you, and there's really no strings attached. That's really the whole thing. Like, it's good news. It's good to share. Um, then we tried to move on to what would we do better next time? Like, what specifically could we improve? And we had a couple of good things, like some good ideas about, like, the time and shifts and that kind of stuff. And after we got through, like, three or four, like, we sort of forgot like, we just couldn't help but get back to, like, what was good. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, yeah, we could fix that. But you know what was great was also the way that, like, some people went over and, like, offered the things to the people standing in line. I thought that was cool. I'm like, oh, we could fix this. But you know what else felt really good about the day? And it was just such a great event because I think we, as a team, did that family thing. And we can certainly find things to improve. And I encourage that. I feel like sometimes the word... Um, criticism gets separated from the word critical thinking. Sometimes criticism is a really good thing because it means you're thinking critically, saying there were fewer people at 7 p.m. and more people at 8.30, so maybe we should start at 8 p.m. Like, that's a critical thing to say because we're critically thinking, and that's good. If you feel like a lot of times it's easy to see the things to criticize, that's an invitation from God. That's a gift from God to bring your best to the mission. If there's something going on on Sunday morning that like feels weird or like lame, like it's okay to say like, uh, should we do it that way? Maybe we should do it a different way. This feels kind of weird. What if we did it this way? Like when we all do that as a team, that's us being a part of God's mission to include others. That's not a thing that has to be like repressed or put down. That's not like, oh, you should just get better at liking lame things. I don't think that the God of joy and hope wants us to get better at liking lame things. I think he puts it in us to like have a good sense of like, well, what's great about this? And what can we improve about this? And let's like really engage and do those things. And let's keep doing the great things. Let's fix the problem things. And let's just be an expression of God's family that includes. So I think we've got two questions going into ministry time. Um, and one of them is, when was the last time we honestly experienced God's great love for us? Not like in a checkbox way or in like a mindless way, but like when was the last time that we um, were really able to feel like, wow, God loves me personally as an individual? I read a quote earlier this week, and the name of the person who said it escapes me, but they said that God has a passionate, absorbed interest in your life. And this sounds funny, but like the, the image that came to mind when I was praying about that is like one of those like gifs or gifs about like a person just like eating popcorn and like watching like what's going on, what's going on, you know, like Michael Jackson in the movie theater, just like, hum, 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 you know, like I feel like God's doing that with your life right now. Like he's looking at you like what's going to happen next? What choice are you going to make next? This thing is coming. What are you going to do with it? And he sees all of time all at the same time and he's omniscient. So he kind of probably knows some things, but I don't think that reduces God's interest in us individually and his desire to be with us through the parts of that that are difficult, and his desire to be with us in joy and celebration through the parts of our life that are really fun and wonderful. And I think God has that for us this morning. I think the other thing that God has for us is um, 
to whatever we would put the, the fill in the blank for of like, I need to get fill in the blank in order to include others. So I need to get motivated. Like give me the desire to include others might be one. Um, or I need to get empowered to include others. Like I'm feeling really shy or I need to get equipped to include others. Something like that. Like whatever it is that we would say, you know, I want to be like my family who sings, but I don't know how to sing. I want to be like my family who includes, but there's something that makes including others hard for me. I feel like God has stuff for us to say, oh, let me, let me help you. Let me give you the gift that our whole family shares of like how we can really include others. So we're going to take some time to really ask God for that now. We're going to ask him to let us experience his love. Um, If that's the thing that we'd say, yeah, it's it's kind of been a long time. Um, Or for for God to talk to us about, or to God, for God to give us whatever it is that we need so that we can feel like we can really carry forth this family trait of including others. So would you stand? We're going to have someone from our band come up, and we'll play a song. Um, And we'll have a time for prayer ministry. So we'll worship a little bit more. And if any of that resonated with you, or if there's anything else going on at all that you would like prayer for. um, This morning while we were worshiping, I felt like um, God, I saw like a picture of sort of like a person in in a room, and there was like a lot of cotton in the room. And it was like everything felt really dull and flat. And then God just like removed the cotton or maybe burned it up or something. And it was like the person came into tune with God and started just like resonating with God's love. Like really like um, being like a microphone for God's love or magnifying God's love that way. So instead of it feeling dull and flat. So if you have that dull, flat feeling especially, I would encourage you to come up and get prayer. So with that, let's worship. <laughs>